Well, um, we get to be really blessed today um, uh, because, as Jesus says, um, he saves the best wine for last. Um, that's how I introduced my wife. She told me last time that I went on for 15 minutes introducing, and I said, babe, because you're so awesome. Let's hear it for the wonderful pastor, Jody Van Ray. She's going to share a prophetic word that she feels she has for us today. Blessings, babe. That's pretty good. You got, you got that done quickly. You mad at me? <sighs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited to be here. I love you guys so much. I can't even tell you. My heart is so full and... I really believe that the, the Lord gave me a specific word for our congregation. And whenever you read the Bible, do you, have you ever had the experience where you're reading and all of a sudden it's like, it's in bold print? Like this is what you're supposed to be reading? Can I just encourage you, when you read the Bible, wait for those moments because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. And I, I was just, re- I'd been reading through the Old Testament, and um, I got to Exodus. And, you know, it's the whole story about the Israelites being in slavery in Egypt. And, uh, and all of a sudden, when I got to Exodus chapter 6, it was like, boom. The, the Holy Spirit just said, this is a word. And first I thought it was just for me. And then I shared it with a group of young leaders, and I really believe that this is a word for the Adventure Church for 2015, and it's, it's so full of promise, and you may not see that right in the beginning, but I am so excited to share this with you, and I just want to ask you to just open up your hearts to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you this morning. If you could turn to your handheld device to Exodus chapter 5, <laughs> verse 22, and if you don't have the Bible on your handheld device, just do it. Just get it on there. Have a Bible with you at all times. It's so easy to find things these days because you just have to Google it. You put in a couple of the words and, and it'll tell you where it is in the Bible and then you can actually read it in context. So starting with Exodus chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 and I'm going to move on into Exodus chapter 6 because you know those chapters when they originally wrote this, the Torah, it, those chapter breaks weren't in there. That's just to make things easier for us to kind of navigate through. So here's the reading of the word. Exodus 5.22. Moses returned to the people and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought me, brought this trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people. You have not rescued your people at all. It's kind of a whiner, huh? How does the Lord respond? Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord told Moses, Now. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. Now the history of this, as you know, may or may not know, is that the Israelites were in bondage. They were slaves. They were owned by the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh, which is basically like the king, the Pharaoh was cruel, and he was demanding. 
And, and in chapter 5, it's talking about how he was demanding that they produce more with less resource, produce more with less time. Does this sound familiar? Sound like the spirit of this age? To produce more with less. And he was very demanding, and he was harsh, and he was cruel. And so the Israelites were in bondage for years. And in verse 2, it says, God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty, but I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them. And under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I heard the groans of the people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has, brought, who has freed you from your oppressor in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. This is the NLT, by the way, New Living Translation. Verse 13, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. And I believe that's the word of the Lord for us as leaders, is to help lead you out of Egypt and lead you into the promised land that God has for you to lead you out of slavery and to lead you out of bondage so that you can live free and so that you can completely embrace the calling that God has for each and every one of your lives. First point, when God says so, it happens. It says, the Lord told Moses, now, this is uh, verse one in chapter six, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And as you know, you've heard of the 10, ten plagues, right? The 10 plagues that God sent and, and how he was trying every time, Moses would go, let my people go, let my people go. And Pharaoh would, would say, no, I won't let your people go. So first thing is the blood in the water. The water all turned to blood, okay? Then the second thing, frogs. Okay, that's gross, have you ever seen frogs, like, smashed all over the road? I grew up in Minnesota, and there was this lake in the next town, and we had a, an infestation of salamanders. And, like, literally, it was in the middle of July, but it, it was like ice on the road because there were so many salamanders smashed on the road. So, I know that's so gross. Okay, anyway, moving on. 
That added nothing to my message. That wasn't the word from the Lord. But anyway. Okay, the next one is gnats. Ugh, gross. Gnats everywhere, okay? Then flies. Ooh. Okay? Pharaoh is one stubborn dude. It's like, I mean, I'm serious. After the flies, I would have been like, okay, whatever. Just take your people and go. But no. Then the livestock all got sick. Then boils. Speaking of gross, if you've never seen a picture of a boil, you should Google it. (laughs) I'm kind of on a gross roll today. Then hail. And they didn't have cars they could hide in, or houses, really. They had tents. Locusts, darkness, and eventually the killing of the firstborn of each home, except for those that were covered under the blood. Symbolizing what? The blood of Christ, the firstborn. So Pharaoh was rude and mean and stubborn, but the Lord was still in control. And when the time was right, he decided he'd had enough. Second point is that the Lord is the God who will. God demonstrated that not only is he the omnipotent, the El Shaddai, the God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he is also a personal God. In verses 2 and 3, he demonstrates a new characteristic to the Israelites because the the El Shaddai is the God Almighty, the all-powerful God, the God who can do whatever he wants and could do whatever he wanted. But the Yahweh is the covenant-keeping God. And not that they're different gods. You know, every one of the names of God symbolizes a different characteristic of God. When he demonstrates himself as the Jehovah Jireh, it's, he's the provider. The Jehovah Rapha, he's the healer. The Jehovah Elroy, he's God who sees. I think that's funny, though, Elroy. Just remember the Jetsons? Not the same. <laughs> but he demonstrated himself up until this point as the El Shaddai, but now he's saying, I am demonstrating that I am a God who keeps his promises and that he is for us. Only twice in the New Testament is the word used for God Almighty, the Pan- Panocrator, which means the one who holds sway over all things, the ruler of all, and the Almighty God. Only two times in the New Testament, in Revelation 1.8, where it says, I am the Alpha Omega, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. That's the same word as the El Shaddai, or the, the God Almighty. And the other place is in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, come out from among the unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord God Almighty. Do not touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, the more one thinks of it, the more he shall be overwhelmed with astonishment that he who is everything should love us who are less than nothing. And he also says, remember that the Holy Spirit has his ways and his methods, and there are some things that he will not do. Remember that he makes no promise to bless compromises. If we make a treaty with error or with sin, we do so at our own risk. If we do anything that we are not clear about, if we tamper with the truth or with holiness, if we are friends with the world, if we make provision for our flesh, if we preach half-heartedly and are allied with those who are in error, 
We have no promise that the Holy Spirit will go with us. We are saved by grace. But the blessed life is the life of obedience. How many of you want to have a blessed life? My third point is God keeps his promises despite how we feel. You know, even when we're discouraged and weary and doubtful and insecure, God's promises are still true. Verse 4, he says, I reaffirmed my covenant, and under its terms I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. And in verse 5, it says, You can be sure that I have heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. And then what follows are the seven I wills. He says, first of all, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I'm the Lord your God, and I will bring you into the land I swore with uplifted hand to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen because of their discouragement. And how many of us have been crying out to the Lord for something? And we just feel like it's fallen on deaf ears. How many times have you cried out for the same thing? How many times have you felt like, does God not want to deliver me from this addiction? Does God not want me to be free? You know, think about it. We get so judgmental against the Israelites. But it had been 645 years since they'd received their promise. 645 years is a long time. After a while, you start to get discouraged and go, maybe I heard wrong. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe God's holding something against me. I mean, think of the questions you would have. After a while... You don't want to receive that promise. You don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore, okay? You tell me God is a delivering God, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that God wants me to be free because I don't feel like it, and I've been asking him. The Abrahamic covenant is in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. It says, the Lord, has said, and the Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. You know, I remember going through a season in in my life when Eric and I had first gotten married. And I was racked with jealousy. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere, and I would start to accuse him and, and scrutinize him. There weren't cell phones back then, but I'm sure that I would have been checking his cell phone. But I was unrelenting. I was so consumed with jealousy that anytime we went out in public, it, was, it turned into a fight, and it was horrible. And I loved the Lord, and I wanted to be free. 
And I cried out, and I cried out, and I cried out, and I confessed it again and again and again. And I fasted, and I prayed, and I did everything I knew to do. But I was still in bondage. Now, it is, it is possible for Christians to be in bondage. Do you believe that? Okay, it is not possible for Christians to be possessed by demons. But we are subject to spirits that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, the principalities and the rulers of the darkness. We are, I talked about, remember when we talked about spiritual warfare, we, we are dealing with a spiritual world. And there are certain things in our lives that are bondage, that are things, the definition of bondage is anything that keeps you from fulfilling who Christ created you to be. Anything that holds you back from being fully released into who you were called to be is bondage. And the difference between sin and bondage is sin is something that you go into and you make a choice and you, and you do it. Whereas bondage, it's almost as if you don't have a choice. It's almost as if you're a slave to that behavior. And I remember, I mean, I don't even know how many fights we had, how many hours we wasted with me just being horrible and jealous of everybody. It didn't matter, and I could not get free. I could not set myself free. I couldn't make the right decisions to get free. And suddenly, after I don't know how many years, it was probably three or four years of living like that. Poor Eric. I'm sorry, babe. Please forgive me. One time he was praying for me, and suddenly I had a revelation from the Lord that it really wasn't jealousy that was the problem. It was my pride that I wanted to be worshipped. That I was a jealous God. Now the Lord spoke that to me. And of course your first thought is, you deny it. No, I'm not. I'm not prideful. (laughs) Ridiculous, right? But I knew, I knew that's what it was. And in Jonah chapter 2, it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now, I had a choice at that moment. This is point number four. Now is the time to walk. I had a choice at that moment. I could have covered my sin and gotten defensive and pretended that it wasn't really the sin, or I could expose it in the light. I could confess it, and I could lay it down before the Lord. And because of my desperation, I don't think it was any righteous thing in me. I think it was because I was so desperate that I confessed it and I renounced it. And Eric is a very forgiving person and he forgave me even though, I I mean, I treated him so poorly for so long. But I decided not to cling to a worthless idol which was my own opinion of myself. Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, don't get tired of doing what's good. Don't get discouraged and give up. For we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. 
And I'm here to tell you this morning, I believe this is the appropriate time. I believe this is the now. I believe this is the season where the Lord wants to deliver us from Egypt. He wants to set us free from our slavery. And he wants to redeem us. He wants to win us back fully for his glory. The promise of God to us is still, I will be your God and you shall be my people and I will dwell in the midst of you. And I just spent a week down in Los Angeles shadowing two great leaders and both of these leaders are so sold out for the Lord. They are so fully invested in the kingdom of God. And the one thing that I recognized in both of them was that they were so passionate for the gospel and passionate for the kingdom of God, but yet they both had balance in their lives. They, they modeled rest. They got away, you know, like Jesus got away and spent time with the Father. These women, they, they didn't burn themselves out. You know, and the thing is, we shouldn't burn ourselves out doing what we shouldn't be doing. We shouldn't burn ourselves out doing the things we shouldn't be doing. And I believe now is the appropriate time. Now is the time for us to walk out of slavery and stop doing the things we shouldn't be doing. And I'm not even necessarily talking about sinful things. I mean, yes, of course, that as well. But I am talking about sinful choices and I'm talking about bondage, but I'm also talking about sometimes even things that, are, that see, are seemingly good, like work or like serving at church or other things that can also get out of balance in our lives and cause us to be doing things we shouldn't be doing. And I'll tell you this, and I will say this unapologetically, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Right? Don't you want to live like that? I mean, I want to live like that, okay? I have been guilty of shrinking back and living a life that was kind of half-hearted for God, just, you know, kind of taking his blessings and his goodness for granted. I am done with that. And I want to invite you to join me. I want to invite you to walk out of your bondage and walk out of your slavery and fully, fully give yourself over to the things of the Lord. You know, Eric and I, are doing a 40-day fast. We're fasting from media. Well, he's kind of fasting from media. He's been on Facebook. <laughs> I'm not saying Facebook's in. But, um, and we're doing a Daniel fast. And I'll tell you, it's amazing how much more time you have, first of all, if you're not doing media, to just invest yourself in the word of the Lord. And I'm not saying this to toot our horn. I'm saying, come follow us as we follow Christ. You know, because the thing is, we're getting so much clarity from the Lord, so much clarity from the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite you to walk out of those things that have held you back from becoming fully who God created you to be. You know, some of the things are, are, are based on our history. You know, some of the things are, are things that we can help, things that we did before we knew the Lord, things that have been done to us, things from our family, generational curses, you know, the Bible says that the, the sins of the fathers will be visited upon the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So if you come from a home where, where three to four generations down the road, they didn't know the Lord, there are going to be certain things you will have to deal with that those who have come from generations of believers won't. That's just the reality of it. And we need to be aware of these things because we are in a spiritual battle. 
are we not? You can recognize there's a spiritual battle going on. And one of the things that the enemy wants to do is to lull us into complacency. Lull us into thinking, oh, it's, it's all right, I'm all right. You know, the Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. I want to start doing only those things that are beneficial. I don't want to be toeing the line anymore. Do you? Some of you do. <laughs> Some of the things are habits, you know, things that we've just kind of gotten used to doing. But the Lord is saying, no, it's not beneficial. I want you to be fully blessed. Jesus said that he came to give us life abundantly. I don't know about you, but that's what I want. I don't want 50% of what Jesus wants for me. I want 100% of what Jesus wants for me, and I want that for you. And as your leader, that's what I'm saying. I want to see you embrace the call you have on your life, the call that you know you have on your life. You feel it, right? It's not bragging to say that. You have been chosen. The king of the universe chose you and prepared good works in advance for you to do. Even before the foundations of the earth, he called you by name. And he knows you. You know, John chapter 8 says, you shall know the truth. It starts out, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall So that is what my desire is today, is that you would know the truth. The truth about yourself, the truth about what your Egypt is. The truth about the things that you are a slave to. You know, Romans chapter 6 says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. I'm going to read that again. You become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. If Jesus came back today, What are the implications? He's coming back. So let's live our lives in such a fashion. Let's live our lives as though we know that when he comes for us, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And this is, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this to encourage you. Now is the appropriate time. The Holy Spirit is calling us to be fully invested in the gospel and in the kingdom of God. To not give in to compromise anymore. To not be satisfied with 25% God and 75% me and the world and whatever. 100%, 100% Jesus. You know, some of the things that we struggle are, are just associations, you know, things that other people have done to us and things that are, that are hard for us to get through. But Jesus says he has come to set us free. Some things, as I mentioned earlier, are bondage. Some things are sin. Some things are choices. Some things are bondage. A couple of the things I really believe, I have kind of a long list here, but some of the things that I believe God is speaking specifically for us to walk out of. Some of the things that have held us in slavery, rejection. You know, rejection can totally cut your legs out from under you. 
and keep you completely paralyzed from doing what God has called you to do. If you know that God says of you that you are called by his name, that you are precious and honored in his sight and he loves you and that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, what can mere mortals do to us if we know that that love exists for us? Pride is another one. That's the one I was confessing earlier. And pride can manifest itself in so many different ways. Fear. Fear is another crippler. Because fear says, I don't really trust God. I don't trust that God has my best in mind. Fear also manifests itself in so many different ways. But the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And when we have a revelation of the love of God that fear will be cast out. And let me encourage you, if you have not had a revelation, I'm talking about a life-changing revelation of how much God loves you, cry out for that. It will change your life, I promise. It will change your life. Another one is lust. If you would have told me 30 years ago that porn would be pumped into my home. And not only would it be coming into my home, I would be paying for it. I would have laughed in your face. Yet think about the depths our society has sunk to. I mean, you guys, you've heard the statistics. It's heartbreaking. They say now that the average boy, age of 12, is addicted to pornography, addicted. Not just like he stumbled upon it, he's addicted to it. Another one is deception, being either self-deceived, believing lies about who God is, what his character is, or deceiving others. You know, deception deceives through us and to us. Typically, that's true of most spiritual things. Rejection, we feel rejected, so we reject right? Deception deceives in and out. Another one is greed. You know, they asked Rockefeller, who was at the time the richest man in the world, they said, how much money is enough? And he said, just one dollar more than I have. It's never enough. Greed is all-consuming. Anxiety, right? We talked about this last time. Anxiety. Anxiety is the opposite of trust. The Lord says to trust in him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Anxiety is leaning on our own understanding, trying to figure it out, right? Bitterness. This is my little soapbox. Every time time I speak, I think I always talk about bitterness and unforgiveness because I can stand before you and say that I am someone who has been delivered. I believe it was a generational sin in my family line. And I used to be so racked with bitterness against everyone. I had so much bitterness. And it manifested itself in cutting words and mockery. And But I can tell you, God can set you free. God set me free. He delivered me. Because bitterness rots the bones. Bitterness destroys us. They say, you know, the saying is, bitterness is like you drinking poison hoping, hoping that the other person dies. That's really what it is. 
And bitterness oftentimes leads to gossip because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And gossip is saying something about someone else that doesn't build them up. That's really all it is. And saying it to another person. Another one is doubt, unbelief. Not believing that God is who he says he is. You know, when I was in L.A., I got a ride from this guy named Jacob to my destination. And uh, so I was in in the car with this guy for an hour. And it turns out that he is like a staunch atheist. What a coincidence. <laughs> so we, we had quite the lively discussion. And he made, this, he made this statement at one point. He said, well, it doesn't even make sense that, I mean, if there is a God, which I don't believe, but if there is a God, why wouldn't he, you know, leave something for us to know what he's like? <laughs> I'm like, dude, that is the Bible. That's what the Bible is. It's a book about God, all about God that he wrote about himself. And so then later I'm asking him, so, so like, where did you come up with these ideas? And he goes, oh, well, it's just, it's just what I believe. And I'm like, so you're telling me that there's this, this man, these manuscripts that have survived over centuries that have proven themselves over and over and over, and I'm saying are living and active and true and life-changing, and you're going to go with your own opinion? Seriously? Are you going to bank on that? I mean, I went for it with him. You know, the thing is that that when you encounter somebody who's stiff-necked and really, like, aggressive like that, we should, we're always called to be loving, but with some people, we need to be a little bit more bold. You know? Do you know what I'm saying? Some people, we have to be much more gentle, but with this guy, I really felt like the Lord was saying, this is your only chance with this guy. And I just think how interesting it is that someone can deny the existence of God and put their hope in themselves. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy to me. Even when we as Christians read the Bible and we go, hmm, I don't agree with that. Seriously? (laughs) You lose. (laughs) We don't understand all of God's ways, but God's ways are all right. They are all true, and they are all just. Um, another, Another thing is rage. You know, you don't want to yell at your kids, but you keep yelling at your kids. Or you get behind the wheel of a car and something wells up. There's rage that's within our soul. Jesus wants to walk you out of that. He wants to deliver you from that. He wants to set you free. Rebellion. You know, the Bible says rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is... I know what God wants me to do. I know what's right, and I, re- I refuse. You know, James 4.17 says that he who knows what is right, yet does it not to him, it is sin. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. I don't want to be involved in that. Like that song, say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Another one is suicide, taking your own life, and those thoughts that are constantly being pumped into your brain, lying to you. Because they are lies from the pit of hell. They are lies from an enemy who wants you dead. Because then you will not be effective for the kingdom of God, nor will you embrace the full potential that God has for you and for your life. Another one is control. This, this one is a, 
This one is a really slippery one. And typically people that have to control, control everything in their life and, and in other people's lives, it's usually because they're really out of control emotionally and they have a lot of unresolved things. That was the case with me. God has really delivered me from a spirit of control. It's a long story and I'll share it sometime. But I can tell you that that control is not of the Lord. We're called to, to prefer others to lay down our lives, you know, to lose our own agenda. Another one is arrogance, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Because the Bible says if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. And it says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Another one is racism, despising someone simply because of their heritage rather than embracing people created in the image of God. Another one is depression. God wants to set you free from depression. He wants to deliver you out of that Egypt. He wants to change your mind. He wants to deliver you. Gluttony, not eating for sustenance, but eating for escape or comfort or whatever, and also the generational sins or any kind of addiction, any kind of addictive behavior, that, what, that which you cannot stop on your own. God wants to deliver us. He has the promise for freedom. The promise is, I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of you. Can I invite the worship team to come back up? Susie Nelson, um, it's so cool how consistent God is because, um, like I said, I felt like I got this word from the Lord, and uh, right after that, some situations came up, and Eric asked me if I would if I would speak, and I felt like I had this word to deliver to you, and at the same time, he received an email from Susie Nelson, and she felt like she had gotten a word from the Lord for this congregation for this particular season. And so I've asked her if she would come up and share that with you um, because it, you'll be amazed. We, it's not like we talked and planned this. It was just, it's, it's a God thing. So this is out of Hosea, chapter 2, begins in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, will bring her into the wilderness, and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Acre as a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. And if I can try to impart to you what the sense was that I got from the Lord as I was reading that, first of all, it was definitely out of an immense love for his children. It was not... Uh, punishment, but he was speaking about alluring her into a wilderness to speak comfort to her there. And this is written by the prophet Hosea, who God asked to marry an impure woman and then love her unconditionally and then continue to pursue her when she ran out on him. And that is a depiction exactly of God's love for us. Mm-hmm. And as he brings us sometimes into a wilderness, it's because he's pursuing us. And it may be circumstances, but it may be just a wilderness of heart and soul, of spirit. 
because we're running from him. And also, the Valley of Achor, when I read that, he brought me back in remembrance to what happened when the children of Israel uh, took their first conquest after Joshua led them across the River Jordan into the Promised Land. And God had specifically given Joshua direction for the people and said, when you go in, do not take anything of the accursed things that these people have, anything having to do with pagan worship or occultic practices, and any of the gold, silver, or vessels of bronze and iron are to be dedicated to the Lord's treasury. So when they went in, there was a man named Achan who was tempted, and he took of the accursed things, and he also took some silver and gold, and he went and he hid them in his tent. He dug and put them under the dirt in his tent. And then Israel went out again into another battle, and they were defeated. And so Joshua pled with God, and he said, what is up with this? You brought us out here, now we're being defeated? And God responded, and he said, the children of Israel have sinned against me. And I really, in that there's so much, but Achan did that. It was just one man, and through the course of the process of elimination, he was pointed out. God started with tribes, then he went to uh, families, then households, then this individual. And we think sometimes that when we hide our sin, we're not affecting anyone, but we are. Mm -hmm. Our sin affects our families, our nation, Mm -hmm. our people. And God is after those things that we hide because we think it's no big deal. And like Jody said, it might not be blatant sin. It might just be habit patterns or attitudes. But God is serious about these because he wants us to have the victory. You know, we're talking, we're being taught about Victory Road. And I sense that the Lord was like, I want this for my, my children. I want this for my people so that they can have full victory. Amen. And also... Um, that he would want us to do this ongoingly, to be sensitive to the prompting of his spirit. This is not just a one-time event, but it's a lifestyle of being sensitive to his spirit and confessing quickly and receiving that forgiveness. He wants to speak comfort to us in our valley of acre, which means valley of trouble. Yeah. And he wants to bring us back up out of our Egypt where we can sing again. Amen. Thank you, my daughter. You know, all of the ways are good of the Lord. And there's a couple things I just I just remembered that I really want to point out. Um, I know, um, you know, I I kind of glossed over addiction, but I want to talk about a little bit about addiction. You know, because Acor's entire family was killed because of his sin, and. You know, we think that if something's hidden in the dark, it's not going to affect anyone else. And, and that our addiction isn't going to affect someone else. And I just want to address specifically um, alcohol. Because, you know, the Bible doesn't say not to drink. We have a friend who's he's Irish, and he says somebody was lambasting him because he, he liked to have a beer once in a while. And... Um, 
And he said, the Bible never says not to drink. It merely says not to get drunk. But it does say not to gossip, and you do that all the time. <laughs> Is that okay? We have an Irish woman in the front row. <laughs> so I'm saying, you know, you know. You're only a slave to it if you have to do it, if you can't say no. You're not free. Then you're not free to have a beer. But you know, between you and God, and pain medication, you know when you need it and when you don't need it. Your addiction can affect your entire family. This is not a condemnation for you. This message is to promise hope to promise freedom, to promise the deliverance that God wants so badly. This is about partnering with what he is already doing. And it is by grace we are saved through faith, not of our own works, lest anyone boast. None of us can stand and boast about how awesome we are, but we can boast about how amazing he is and how amazing his grace is. But he does ask us to walk And so this morning, I want to invite you to come forward, to kneel, whatever, and just take those areas where you know that it's your Egypt. You know that you're enslaved to something, to sin, whether it's sin, whether it's bondage, and to be set free. So I just want to invite you as we, we're going to worship singing this song, Multiply, Again, about how having God multiply our lives. If you are sick of that valley of Acor, you're sick of that valley of trouble, you're sick of living this way, and you know that there's something more, you know God has called you to something else, I just invite you to come forward and to lay it down. And then after that, I want to go one step further and ask you to confess it to someone else. Confess it to somebody that you trust who will walk with you and help you. Because God is for us. So who can be against us? So I just want to invite you, enter into the joy of the Lord today. Let those burdens be lifted. I talked to so many people after first service and they just said, I just feel so relieved. I feel like all these burdens have lifted off of my shoulders. That's what the Lord wants for us. He wants the best. Because Jesus is coming back. And he wants his bride. He calls the church his bride. He wants us to be spotless so that we can glorify him, so that we can reflect him. God is a holy God, and he's asking us to say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Amen.